It's a weird thought to think that we were born as spiritual orphans. And I think the reason that's a weird thought is because as we live our lives, we go, well, I mean, you follow most birth stories in our circles. They're generally celebrated. We're glad for them. Kids are born. We think it's great. It becomes Facebook official. The kid's not really born until the kid's on Facebook. Uh, So, like, all of that happens. It gets announced. Everyone becomes aware. All the likes and hearts show up. And it's a great time. We want to then, you know, we have showers galore. You have people go on, uh, what are they now? Like, baby moons instead of honeymoons, right? Right before, like, the first baby's born. They spend time together uh, because they know when the baby's born, it's going to take all of their time. And so we invest all of this energy and all of our affection in the direction of children. And then when you have grandchildren, you kind of get to do it all over again, but only the fun parts. And so, like, it becomes doubly... John knows, yeah, John, John's had to do this multiple times over, so he's all about grandkids. Uh, and so, so like, we, we get to do only the fun parts. And so when, when a statement is made like, hey, we're spiritual orphans, it doesn't necessarily fit with the narrative that we live, live out, which is, like, kids are loved, they have loving parents, they have loving grandparents, like, everyone loves babies, they're great. <clears throat> and so it sounds weird to say, well, you're a spiritual orphan. Um, and maybe that's because... Maybe we don't understand the term, or we, it's not something that we, we think about a lot, but maybe we raise our kids in church or in some kind of belief system, at the very least, right? Some kind of belief system where, where it's like, that belief system might be morality. It might just be, hey, do, be good to people. Be nice and loving. And so we don't feel like spiritual orphans, but we don't realize that we are. It often takes many years later that we realize that we are separated from our Heavenly Father, that we, like many around us, are in the spiritual orphanage with no Heavenly Father, no one guiding us, we've rebelled against it. Like, these are all words and language that we don't generally use to communicate the reality that exists for us as Men, women, and children who are actually outside of the family of God. Outside of the family of God. But at the same time that we might not feel like spiritual orphans, I think we get the idea of not feeling like we belong. I mean, there might be even times in your own family where you don't feel like you belong. Uh, where, where either by your own actions or by the actions of others, you feel like there is this distance. There's this gap. We understand that, but maybe the harder thing for us to grasp in this whole thing, in regard to our relationship with God, is that we're the ones who ran from God. God wasn't the one who ran from us. We're the one who ran from God. And in fact, what we remember during this entire season was that God came to us, not that we came to God. God came to us to bring us back into a right relationship with him. So how does that happen? 
What did, what did the sun do and how does that happen? That's what we'll be looking at today. If you're new to Genesis, welcome. My name's Hans. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. It is a joy to be with you. We are in our third week of the Gospel of John. We're going a little more slowly through the prologue. So it's going to take us four weeks to get through the first 18 verses of chapter 1. And then it's going to take us through like Easter to get through six chapters. So we're going to go faster once we start the new year, but still we're not done with the book come Easter. So we're going to be in John 1, 9 through 13. If you have a Bible, you can certainly turn there. If you need a Bible, you can awkwardly go to the back to get a refill of coffee and then go grab one off the table that's on the back corner there uh, on your way back through. So you come back with your coffee and a Bible, that way no one knows. Um, if you use one on your phone, grab it on your phone. Uh, we won't know when you're just texting your friends anyway. So because my, I'm reading my Bible. So whatever you want to do, John 1, 9 through 13, we get to read about the Word. The Word is Jesus. Jesus is the Son, right? I'm going to use those words kind of interchangeably as we talk. The Word, Jesus, the Son, they're all there wrapped up in this second person of the Trinity. But what we see is Jesus as the true light. The world that rejects this light And how all who believe, all those who do not reject, become children of the Father with Jesus as our older brother. So, we'll just go bit by bit. It's going to be verse 9, verses 10 and 11, verses 12 and 13. That's kind of our run. So we start with verse 9. The true light, which gives light to all, was coming into the world. You're going to see links that John uses. This is John the Apostle, not John the Baptist. We just read about John the Baptist last week. We're going to read about him again in January. But you're going to find these links of words. You're going to hear light, world, own, receive, become, and born, right? Like to, to become or to beget. That's all going to be in there. And you're going to follow these links. He keeps using these language, this language to make his next point. So the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He's going to use world to springboard into the next section. But let's just start in verse 9. Jesus being the true light. He calls him the true light. I mean, I'm in this room. It looks kind of bright. Bright Bright-ish. You have the sun coming through some. You go outside, it's probably going to be bright. We have our string lights, like we're in an outdoor patio. We have the spotlight. We have these lights. If you said, hey, this room is lit, you would know what it meant. wasn't even trying to make a joke there. That's how how funny I am. Joke even when I don't mean to. So I say the the room is, you know, the room has light in it. None of you would go, well, is it true light? Is it true light? You wouldn't go, is it false light? Well, the room is lit, but it's lit falsely. It's full of artificial light. This is not language that we use when we talk about light. But yet John says the word, the son, the one who became flesh, is true light. True light. Truer than the S-U-N son. Right? That thing that's been around before us. That thing that if we stay out in it too long will burn us. Truer than that. Truer than that constant, that the sun being such an important part of how this world works? Truer than that? Yeah. Why? It's because of what the sun, the word, does. He's the true light, which gives light to everyone. 
which gives light to everyone. Now, this is interesting language because, again, we often think about light within us or light outside of us, not light and darkness within us. But this is the language that John is using. And you have to kind of settle into an uncomfortable reality that if, if the true light gives light to everyone, then that means that we need it. Which means that what is in us is not light. What's going on inside of us is darkness. All right, so you can call it darkness. Sure, John would call it that. We'd not walk in darkness. We hear, we hear that language in the New Testament. You can call it sin. Right? You can call it depravity. You can call it those things. Uh, you can call it, some people would call it like brokenness in the sense of like it's not working correctly. Right? Like all of those words are us trying to scratch at this idea that something's inherently wrong. And what's wrong is not outside of us. What's wrong is actually what's in us. What's wrong is what's in us. And that's really hard because uh, we were at dinner last night and I have a child who loves to wash his hands. He's a big hand washer. Uh, like, like rigidly serious about hand washing. And so it's like, eat, put your, hand, put your food down, go wash your hands. Come back. I think there were three trips to the bathroom to wash his hands from the time he started eating to the time he finished, at least. And a little look, look at me every time he walked by like, like, you know what I'm doing, Dad? If we're dirty on the outside, we know what to do. We know what to do. We can see it. We go, okay, well, I'm going to wash this off. What happens if you're dirty on the inside? Unclean on the inside. How do you fix that? How do you fix that? I'll tell you how many of us try and fix it, by doing good. We try and fix it by doing good things. I bet many of you either are in this spot of life or you've been there, which is if I could just do enough good things, I wouldn't feel so bad about how I actually feel about myself. The more good I could do, the better I'll feel like I've balanced out what's going on inside. And so even though we can't wash it off, we try to work it off. We, we try to work it off. We try to do good things and say good things and be more generous and go, well, if I could just do this, then this nagging feeling that I'm not right will get dealt with. It's a way that we live. It's a way that the world tries to handle the realization that something inside of us, in our hearts, is fundamentally wrong. And Christians, even though saved by grace, will still try to do that sometimes, right? Like, we sin, and rather than confess our sins to God and recognize the forgiveness that we have and walk freely in the relationship that we have that is sustained by grace, which, what do we try to do? Well, I, mean, I need to give more. If I read the Bible more, I wouldn't have done that. If I had prayed more, I wouldn't have done that. And so it's funny how our flesh will still do the same kind of thing, or even when we might go astray, even though saved by grace, we'll still go, if I could just do more good things, I would feel better about where I am. But what do we need? Well, John tells us what we need. The true light. We need the true light of Christ to actually shine on us and in us to reveal what's there. Because what does light do? Light reveals. Light reveals. And so you get to see it. Well, when you realize who Jesus is, 
right? Which is even then an act of his spirit, a work of his spirit. When you realize that, and the spirit's at work, and you see all that ugliness, all, that, all those things, all those thoughts, all those lies, all those lusts, all those frustrations, all those unkept promises, all those things start to kind of come up in you. Been, you, you see it. It can be overwhelming, can't it? But it's interesting that this is actually what we need. Because the realization of our darkness by the Spirit moves us to our Savior. Moves us to our Savior. We need things in this world and in this life that are true. Things that we can rely upon. You could say like there's a person upon whom we could rely. We need the Word. As much as I want my children to rely upon me, as much as we as elders want you to rely upon us and, and, and trust us, like as much as we want those things, I still know as a dad or as a pastor or as a friend or a family member, I will fail. I'll lie, I'll misspeak, I'll be dishonest. I won't, I won't intend to all the time. I don't walk around going, man, who could I defraud today? Like that's not my life. But I still know that I'll fail. What do we all need? We need someone true who only reveals true things and only speaks true things. That we are longing for this. And this true light is coming into the world. If there is true light, it would mean then that there is false light. Things that might illuminate us or think that they illuminate us but actually don't other faith systems, confidence in ourselves, things that are going on in this world, things that we think satisfy us. But these actually keep us from what is true. And this is such a trick of Satan to just go, well, if I could only get them to think or be not bothered by themselves enough not to really consider Being a little bothered with who you are is pretty normal, right? I mean, all of you, like, like, you all have things you wish you did better, things you wish you had done differently, things that, like, I wish I were better at this, or I wish I were better at that, right? So we all have those kinds of things in our lives that just nag at us. Sure. But if Satan can just keep us from considering the work of Jesus by making us feel decent enough, by getting us to believe that good does, the good does outweigh the bad. The good does outweigh the bad. I've, I've given more than I've taken. I've loved more than I've hated. Whatever you might want to say, right? And what that does actually is that false light that keeps you from realizing the depth of your own sin and your need of a Savior. Or a system that might tell you that, that we are inherently good. And we just sometimes do bad things. Right? That's, that's not true. Right? That actually you are inherently bad. You're inherently bad. And in the realm, I remember, I remember asking this question to one of my seminary professors. I was like, hey, but can't like somebody who's depraved do good things? And his, I loved his response. I still give the response. He goes, yeah, they can do good things as, as much as somebody in the realm of being dead can do good things. Like, like. The world might view them as good. Others might view them as good. They might seem kind and benevolent, but they still are all done in the total identity and capacity of somebody who doesn't belong to God. 
And so how the world might view it is one thing, but how the Lord views it is a totally different thing. And I was like, oh, that's a pretty good answer because, yeah, so I go, yeah, people can do. Like, people created in God's image can have capacity to do good things and benevolent things and kind things. But that doesn't save you. It doesn't save you. That's why, I'm, I, I, though I know this is the case, that there are unbelievers who are more generous than the people in this room who are probably more fun to take to a party, who are better bosses and who are better employees, better parents and better friends. But our faith is not built on being better than someone at something. That's not what it's built on. And so, so once you realize what Jesus is revealing, you go, oh, okay, so it's not actually about measuring up because I can't. I can't. I did this assignment for class, and I was, I was prepping my students on it. I said, I said just so you know, you're all going to fail at it. Like, you're going to try to do it, and you're all going to fail. And, and that's okay. Because it's on spiritual disciplines, like pursuing a spiritual discipline for a certain amount of time. And all the, they set their little goals, and I'm like, hey, if you, think you, if you don't wake up before 6 o'clock, then, like, don't try to make your goal to get up at 3 and pray for 3 hours. You'd be crazy, right? Like, so don't do that. So even if you set something much more attainable, you'll probably still fail at it. Expect to fail because your goal is not to succeed. Your goal is to grow in the Lord and learn more about your heart and what's going like that's what your goal is. And so I was reading those papers recently and one student was like, "When you told me that we could fail, it was actually very freeing." I'm like, "That's right. That is the Christian life, right? Like I can do all that I can with the spirit that is in me for the glory of God, and it still won't be enough to save me. And so when I do fail, and it doesn't work out, and things don't go right, what can I do? It's still grace. It's still the work of the Son for me. The true light reveals that. And it gives light to everyone. And that light was coming into the world. Now we see in verses 10 and 11 that this light was and is rejected by anyone and everyone. That you, no one has a disposition to love the Lord. And you're going to see this in two ways. He's going to speak broadly and he's going to speak narrowly. The broad part is about everybody, and the narrow part is about the nation of Israel. That's what John does. Now, John himself is part of that nation. And so he's speaking of himself and like, like recognizes his own need of a Savior. And so we read this. He was in the world. That's that link back to verse 9. And the world was made through him, which is a link back to the first four verses, first five verses. Yet the world did not know him. Okay. Remember how John, we've talked about this before, John uses the word world differently, right? And this doesn't just mean like this big created orb, okay? Like he came, he came in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. The world's systems, the world's government, the world's structures of belief, they don't, they don't, they don't receive Jesus, right? Like, like when we talk about being friends with the world, we don't mean just loving the grass, we mean loving this entire system that is antagonistic to the ways of God. 
that the Son came into this world and the world did not know him, was not acquainted with him, was not in the right relationship with him. Came into the world. And there's, of course, the irony that John points out, which is even though he was the creator of everything, even though he, was, he created everything, the world did not receive him, which is, again, setting up this need for something different. And yet, who would you expect to receive the Messiah, the Savior who is Christ the Lord? Who would you expect but his people, the long-awaited Messiah, the one who has been spoken about from the beginning, the one the prophets have spoken of, the one that John the Baptist is going to point toward and go, this is the one. Everybody, right? Like we read Isaiah during this time. We go, how in the world could you miss it? Because everybody misses it. Right? Everybody misses it. Only looking back with the Spirit in me can I go, oh, there it is. Like I don't stumble into it. And so the world rejects the Word. And he comes to his own people. And yet his own people did not receive him. To the idea of the world, just think about how the world rejects, even today, the world rejects the Messiah. Think of Christmas time, which is funny because you know half the world, you know, the southern hemisphere, Christmas is summer for them. So like our white Christmas movies are like, why in the world are you making it cold right now? We go to the beach on Christmas. We don't go, like, we don't want snow. Uh, we're in Texas, and so, you know, we're going to wear our sweaters all week, even when it's 80, because we want to feel like it's Christmas time. Yeah, you know, Jacob. And so, how does the world during this time, well, well, think about our music, right? The Christmas music that's everywhere, right? It's just everywhere. And some of it's just gaudy and funny. And then some of it is actually like you're kind of strolling along wherever you're strolling. You're like, hey, that's about Jesus. Like, like, right, but the world just kind of goes, yeah, we just play the music. Just pump it in because it just gets people's spirits and you're in good spirits during Christmas time if you do that. They want the happy parts of Jesus, but they don't really want the cross, Right? Like, hey, we like that Jesus was kind, and we like that he was loving, and we like that he was cool. Like, like he seems like a good guy. But the Jesus who died, the Jesus who recognizes our own sinfulness, the Jesus who rose again, that's not the Jesus the world clings to. Jesus the Messiah. Just Jesus the ornament. Right? The one that kind of looks good and is kind of cool to have. Like, that's the one the world looks for and longs for. Like, the Jesus that fits into your life and fits on the tree. Like, that's that. But also, here's another thing the world would reject. The world rejects a a message of exclusivity. And you probably feel it more and more and more, don't you? You feel it more and more and more. That's why I say the world systems oppose God. That's when you have to, when you read John, you see that a lot. Because any time, just think about it, any time you make a claim of something that is true and then would declare something else as not true, you become vilified. You become vilified. It's like, hey, I actually think that family looks like this, or I think that marriage is here, or I think that like, there are certain ways to behave that aren't right because that's not how God designed it. Right? You say that, it's like, it's like, hey, who are you to judge? I'm like, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm no one to judge, honestly. I'm no one to judge. But God created it. 
So, so those messages of exclusivity, that there's one way to find salvation, but at the same time, anyone can find it, right? It's like, we all recognize something's wrong with us, but we want to be able to find the reason to get fixed. And if you go, hey, it's Jesus, it's like, well, I don't want Jesus. I want to get fixed differently. I want to feel better differently, right? So when you see that idea, it's not just the first century world was against the Messiah. 2021 is against the Messiah as well. Don't receive the message that says you have significant need that you can't fix yourself and you need God to save you. You need a risen Lord and you need to surrender yourself and your rights and your life and everything to him. We just don't, we don't respond to that very well. We don't respond to much very well, but we don't respond to that well. And his own nation does not believe in him. Remember, we, we've used this verse before, but remember what Jesus says to the, to the Jewish leaders of that time? And he goes, you search the scriptures because you think in them is eternal life, but they testify about me. So you're, you're trying to become an expert in the language but not in the God who created it. You're trying to understand just the words on the page, but the words on the page testify about a person. But think about it. I mean, I, mean just, just, I want you to recognize that we're all in the boat of people who miss it, be it people who are just of the world, the Gentiles who are just of this world, miss it, the Jewish nation who misses it. Like, we're all in that, okay? We're all there. I mean, just think about this for a second. Most epistles in our New Testament are written by the Apostle Paul. And who was this guy? But somebody who was murdering Christians and putting them in jail, who would also claim of himself and the people around him as an expert in the law. And so it's kind of nice that if, if the expert in the law was killing Christians and putting them in jail, the odds of me getting it are pretty small. The odds of anybody getting it are really small, but that isn't what it's about, right? It's not about you getting it. It's about God coming into this world and revealing himself to you. Think about this in the book of Romans, Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It isn't about you getting it. It's about God getting a hold of you. Right? Like it's not you, it's not your mind, it's not your comprehension, it's not your work, it's not your, it's not your ability to understand a passage really well. Right? It's only revealed by the Spirit, it's only given by God, salvation is granted by, it's not a work of ours. And so we recognize the true light reveals what we need, but even then, what do we do? Nope. The Word, don't want it, don't want your Messiah, don't want this. Not what I had expected, not what I longed for. Nope, don't want it, not interested, thanks, come again. And so you see the true light come into the world, the world and his people do not receive him, and then he launches, John launches off that idea of receive to get us into verses 12 and 13. So the world did not know him, that statement of intimacy. His own people did not receive him, did not take him in. But to all 
This isn't then a, a Jewish and Gentile thing. This is an everybody thing. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. All who believe become children of the Father because of the work of the Son, empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit. Right? That, that, that all who believe actually get the relationship that everybody rejects. Sounds bizarre, huh? Like, like, wait a minute, I thought I rejected it. If I rejected it, how do I receive it? Because I rejected it. And that's where we have to realize God's work. God's work in salvation. God's work in revealing need. God's work in humbling us, moving us to repentance. We might look at the language in the first part of verses uh, 12 and 13 and go, oh, so it's belief that matters. But there's a higher power going on there, right? Like there's a higher order grantor. It's not all who believe, end of it. He, the Father, gave the right. God gave the right. For all who believe, he gave the right to become children of God. All who believe in Jesus become, give the right to become children of God. And these people were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, the will of man. So just, just look at your passage real quick, verses 9 through 13, and you see these links. Light enlightens coming into the world. The world was made through him. The world did not know him. He came to his own, but his own people didn't receive him, but to all who did receive him. So he's using these language, he's contrasting time and time again. So he launches, all who receive him, all who receive him, God gives the right. He gives the status. He gives the identity. He gives the family name to those who believe. So it's still an act of God. It's still an act of God. All who believe in who he is, and this is not just the statement of like, well, I believe in Jesus. I mean, if you just ran around and polled Spring, Texas, you would find a lot of people who would quote-unquote believe in Jesus. And so you have to kind of pry a little bit. Right? I mean, this is, it's almost like we have to kind of go back and do the work of a missionary to go, well, what do you mean by Jesus? And what do you mean by believe? And is Jesus just a way? Right? Is he one of many ways like some faith systems would believe? Oh, yeah, well, Jesus is a God. And he's one of many gods. And if Jesus is your way to get to God, that's great. I'm happy for you. I'm happy for you. But, if this, but my way's here. And that's where we get stuck. Remember last week when we were talking about sharing our faith? And if we make sharing our faith about what we think, we get caught. Because what if somebody else thinks differently? We're like, well, I don't know why my thinking is better than your thinking. And there's this weird thing where you go, because it's not my thinking. I didn't come up with this. I didn't create this. I, I, didn't, I didn't create, I created the problem. I certainly didn't create the solution. I can just tell you in general what my solution would be, which is, you know, probably weights on the scale. Do more good than bad, and you'll be all right. 
or some version of karma, right? Like, if you do good, good happens to you, and if you do bad, bad happens to you. Like, that's, that would, that would and, and why would I know that's the case? Because that's what most belief systems do. I mean, like, they, they just create people who want to lean into good things because they want good things to happen to them. But the gospel message actually saves bad people who do bad things, and the greatest thing happens to them. They become children of God. <laughs> like, I'm like, I don't create that one. I create the one where you work harder and do good things and good things happen. Not you're a bad person and do bad things and good things happen. But the good thing is God's grace towards us and his son. He gives them the family name. That's the idea of, the theological idea of adoption. We're brought into the family. We're no longer those spiritual orphans. We're no longer wondering who's going to get us. God gets us. And we get the family name. And don't think that's insignificant. Right? If you've ever been, like I've been able to be there when I've had a family member adopt a child through the foster system. And, the, and there's this moment, right? And the judge is like, what will his name be? Right? Like, and, and you can change the name at that point in time, right? They get the family name. I was hearing a story just recently of a child that wanted a specific name, right? Like, like I want a different name. At the moment, just think in our terms, at the moment of adoption, the family says, you're ours. You're ours in every way. Not just you're here for a little while, but you're here forever. We're not leaving you, you're not leaving us. For all who believe in the Son, the work of His Son, His death, His burial, His resurrection, for all who believe, we get the family name. We get Jesus, our older brother, God, our heavenly father. We get a family of brothers and sisters that we had never had before. All orphaned. And we can look around and go, you too? You too? And this is the crazy thing about God's grace. Again, I was talking with somebody recently. And, 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 and like, I just say this like it happens all the time. It really doesn't. It's just been happening lately. So I'm having this conversation with somebody, and we're talking about grace. And it always goes, right? It's like that little rule, like it doesn't take long before you start talking about Hitler, right? And so they, they just go, it's always like the, the biggest example of evil. And so the guy goes, so you're telling me, and you know where this is headed, you're telling me that somebody who did as is, is much evil as Hitler that if they truly professed in Jesus as their Messiah, even at the last moment, would be with God? And I'm like, it's scandalous, isn't it? But yes, but yes. And it's incredibly uncomfortable, a little disturbing, because we don't like a system that does that. And you go, but yeah, but Jesus has taught about this. He gives this parable about the workers in the vineyard. And they agree on a wage, and there's some who are there early in the morning, and they say, yeah, I'll work for a day's wage. There's some who come later. And then what does the landowner do? But he starts paying the latecomers to the earlycomers, and the latecomers get the agreed-upon wage. So what do the people in the back of the line think? Oh, 
if that 11th hour person got a full day's wage, I'm going to get 12x that thing. I'm going to get more. And they get the same amount. I go, it's because it's the grace of God, the landowner, not the work of the laborer in the field that matters. And you can even hear that, you know, as Jesus is telling the story, he goes, hey, isn't it my right? We agreed on it. We all get salvation. Is it scandalous that somebody gets the same status with God after being godless for 85 years and then in the last week of their life professes Christ? Is that scandalous from an earthly perspective? Yes. Can it feel frustrating? Sure. But it's grace. It's grace. And if it frustrates us, what does that probably mean but that we're leaning into something works-based? I've been at it longer. I deserve more. <laughs> it doesn't work. We're at it longer. We don't deserve more. For all who believe, men, women, children, 10, 15, 20, 25, 65, 75, 95 years old, for all who believe, there's not a precondition of age, requisite Bible knowledge, a certain amount of sins you did commit, a certain group of sins that you didn't commit. There is no prerequisite of living a good life beforehand because you can't. For all who believe, they get the family name. He gives them the right to become children of God. But it requires trusting in the work of Jesus. The apostle Peter, later after Jesus' ascension, says as much. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, you might know it, but as he's speaking to a group of people, he he says this, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, the idea then of name. Again, it's not just, oh yeah, Jesus is cool. I like Jesus. That's nice. But the name of Jesus brings along with it all that he has done. It's not just J-E-S-U-S, right? Like It's not like, hey, that's a good name. Remember this song, like, he's the best, J-E-S-U-S. Like, we just sing that in like, our youth ministry worship times, sometimes. Led by Chris Tomlin, actually. So, anyways, um, my youth camp days, pretty sweet. It's not just a name. It's everything that comes with the name. Because it's the person. It's the person. And then I love this. As you finish in verse 13, you read, These people were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Which means that people can only make people. We can't make redeemed people. Can't do it. You can go, hey, you know, I would really like, you know, assuming. This always assumes that people's bodies are working correctly. But 
a lot of people kind of plan their family out. They say, okay, we want to have children at this time or in this way or this struggle. Like we, want to have, we, like we want to have our family. We like to have our family. And that's what that I mean. Like the will of man going, let's have kids. But you can't create God's kids. Men can create kids, right? People create people in the family, with the family name. We don't create people with God's family name. It takes God to do that. Courtney and I can bring people into our family. We cannot bring people into God's family. The Lord wills it. The Lord desires it. The Lord realizes it. God makes children of God. Men and women make children of men and women. And so I will ask you this question. Whose child are you? Whose child are you? Not what child is this, right? That's a, that's a Christmas carol we sing. Whose child are you? Are you a child? You know, you read Narnia? Son of Adam, right? Like, I love that language. Daughter of Eve. Like, the way that C.S. Lewis just, just, just brings such weight to who you are. And just saying, son of Adam and daughter of Eve. And you're just like, dang, like, that is, that is it. Right? Like, bringing me all the way back. That's it. But if that's as far as it goes, then I'm, you know, I'm Hans. And my parents were Jan and John. And my brother's Dale. And my sister's Shana. And my wife is Courtney. And my children are Ethan and Asher and Abram. Like, like if that's as far as it goes, and I can only speak in relationship to my human status, then I need something. I need the grace of God for me in Christ. I need to recognize that need. I need the spirit to illuminate my heart. I need the true light to shine in so that I might be God's son. So that you might be God's son or God's daughter. That right is given by God. If that is you, if you have put your faith in Jesus, I would say this, Man, rejoice. <laughs> rejoice in that status. I mean, it's just bonkers to me. Like, to think Jesus is my brother who's also God. And God is my father. I mean, when, when, when Jesus was saying God was his father, when he was using that language during his ministry on earth, people were ready to kill him. They were ready to kill him. Yet we get Jesus, our elder brother. We get God, our heavenly father. We have that relationship. We don't just have the brothers and sisters in our own family, but we have the church. People who are brought in, and they don't look like us, and they don't talk like us, and they're not as cool as us, right? Whatever you might think. We get one another. We get not only, I mean, you don't only just get your birth family, you get God's family. And when you're reading, maybe you're reading in church history and you're reading about martyrs, they go, you get to meet them, right? You get to talk to them. 
You get eternity in a new heaven, in a new earth with a risen Lord. You get that. And so I say, if that's you today, just be glad and rejoice because it's crazy. It is crazy that we get this. Right? I mean, think about that passage. The true light comes into the world and everyone says, don't want it, don't need it, good on my own. And yet as that light shines into darkened hearts, people realize their need. And God empowers them in that moment to turn, to look, to trust. And they're given a new name. They're given a new family. And they're given a new home. (laughs) And so I would just say rejoice in that status. And I would ask you, if you don't have this, please, for the believers in the room, please create this in some way, in whatever way. We'll try and help, help you in the next few weeks with it. But please be in prayer for those who aren't a part of God's home those who aren't a part of God's family. I mean, it's just crazy to think. I, I remember the time that, I, that I, I went into, you know, this decision room where I was talking about, I just realized, I don't know what happened. I mean, my, my, my testimony, I don't know when it actually begins and when it actually ends, but I do know a couple of moments in it. And one of them was just a statement of, I need to change. And I had somebody look me in the eye, right? Like, Steve looks me in the eye and he smiles and he goes, I've been praying for that. And I'm like, What? Like, who are you, man? What are you, like, what? You've been praying for that? How in the world? I mean, just think about the fact that your salvation, before it happened, was being prayed for by someone. By someone. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a coworker. Maybe it was your brother or sister. Maybe it was your son or your daughter. Maybe it wasn't somebody who you knew you specifically, but like we did this morning, we're praying that God would save people, that darkened hearts would be enlightened. So pray for people who don't know the Lord. May they be a regular part of your conversation with God, that true light would shine that they would believe and receive that glorious, eternal, forever status of being a child of God, born by the will of God, not the will of man. The very fact that I can't will it to be means I must pray for it. If I could will it to be, I would just do it. If I could make you believe, I would do it. If I could make my children believe, I would do it. I can't. If I can't do it, but God can, well, then where do you go? You go to the one who can. You ask, and you ask, and you ask, and you ask, and you ask that people would receive true light. Pray. Pray. Pray with me. God, you are good and you are gracious and you are loving and you have shown the light of Christ in so many hearts, even here this morning. 
I praise you for that. For the brothers and sisters that we have around this room. For the brothers and sisters that have been gathering around the globe on this Lord's Day, both in persecuted spaces and in peaceful spaces. Clinging to the one thing they need, which is the person of Jesus, the Son, the Word, the true light. Father, might we see that today. Grow our hearts. Shine that light brightly that we might trust. Recognize our sin. Recognize our own rejection of your ways and that we could humbly receive it. Do that, Father, because we cannot do it ourselves. We pray in Christ's name, the true light. Amen. When we go to communion, which we do every week at Genesis, communion is that constant reminder that Christ worked on our behalf. We did not. Christ did the work. Communion at Genesis is available for all who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If that is not you this morning, then we would just ask for you to remain where you are. If you have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then in just a moment you can come up and you can grab the elements for you or uh, those sitting with you who are in the faith as well, if you'd like to do that. And then Rock, one of our elders, is going to come and share the word with us and we're going to take the elements together and remember and rejoice that we're God's forever in him forever.